Hello and welcome back to Podcasts from the Edge with me, Peter Bruce. What is difficult, it seems, is getting a cheap flight these days from Cape Town to Johannesburg or vice versa, or getting a flight at all. At some stage last week, it came just impossible to get a Joburg Cape Town return flight at all. This is one of the world's top 20 busiest air routes. Why would that be? For a start, SAA is barely present. Comair or Kalula and British Airways just went bust. I know running any airline through the pandemic must have been difficult everywhere. But coming out of that era, the, the desire to travel seems just huge. Why can the airlines we have not cope? Fortunately, I have a phone number I automatically reach for whenever I have an airline question. And the guy who always answers is Lyndon Burns, an expert and a consultant in the industry locally and somebody who really knows what he's talking about. Lyndon, thanks for joining me today. The Competition Commission says it's investigating what it calls excessive pricing by airlines. Apparently, passengers have complained that ticket prices have risen sharply since Comair fell over on the last day of May. Is that the case? What are the facts? Hi, Peter. Um, yeah, look, uh, the Competition Commission, of course, have to you know, investigate uh, complaints and establish if there's been any predatory or you know, illegal actions or you know collusion by by airlines or any other business but I, I frankly i don't believe that is the case but obviously it's for the commission to to do its work it's had three it says it's had three complaints yeah exactly and 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 i think you know the reality is um oh, and, and i saw you know in in um you know in business day yesterday uh, somebody was quoted saying, you know, that uh, airlines are withholding cheap fares. And that's a very strong assertion to make because that would suggest that you know, that person who makes that com- the, that allegation has got evidence of some sort of conspiracy or collusion or wrongdoing. Anyway, the bottom line is that uh, input costs have gone through the roof, um, especially since, uh, since Russia's invasion uh, of, of Ukraine. So we're sitting... You know, if we just look at the price of jet fuel um, on Friday last week, when the when uh, IATA, the International Air Transport Association, did its last analysis, um, we we had jet fuel selling here at one hundred and fifty one dollars a barrel. Um, that is seventy eight percent more expensive than it was in the same mm. week last year. Um, it's gone from being. 20 to 25% of an airline's cost base in South Africa to 50% and northwards. Um, one airline CEO that I spoke to yesterday morning, he said to me, it's our biggest single cost item now. And that together with the performance of the rand, the dollar and the euro this week are keeping everybody yeah. awake uh, at night. Um, and a large part of this is because Airlines here incur a large portion of their input costs in dollars Buying fuel. or in euros, but they're generating most of their revenue in softer currencies like the rand or the Namibian dollar or the pula or the quacha or the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the zim dollar. Um, and every time the rand devalues or there's you know sort of a shock movement between you know the rand and the dollar or any, any kind of movement, that delta between cost you know, input costs and revenue just widens and makes that challenge so much greater. And then you add to the equation the lack of elasticity in the current market here in terms of fares, 
and where you can pitch your fares. And we're seeing this being tested right now. Um, you know, airlines are, you know, it's not just fuel. We've also got now the infrastructure service providers like the airports company, which, you know, uh, have also increased their rates because everybody's trying to catch up and make up for the lost revenue um, during COVID and also needing to repay the debt that they raised during COVID. So they've got pressures and it wouldn't surprise me if we start seeing other things happening that are going to impact, uh, you know, users of air transport here. Like um, you, you, we're probably going to get asked to pay to drive our cars up the ramp to the drop-off zones at the airports um, pretty soon. Um, you know, this is happening at airports in Europe. Um, my money is on something like that happening here within the next couple of weeks, to be absolutely honest, because they've got such a big shortfall um, you know, in, in their revenue. And, and you touched on this in your intro, Peter. Uh, SAA, you know, for, for all of its faults and governance issues and corruption and state capture, the, at the end of the day, the SAA, Mango, SA Express, um, you know, uh, beast was a significant player in the industry in terms of capacity. And when that got taken out of the market, that had a far bigger impact than, than what Comair's had. Comair never returned to full capacity um, after COVID. Um, so, so it was never, never really running at the 40% of the, the um, market share of, of, of the routes that it used to have. Uh, before we went into into the pandemic and before it went into business rescue, just let me stop you there for just a quick moment, just for, just for so that people have a view, um, an overview mm. of, what, of what is what's what is between the start of COVID and now. Mm. What what have we lost and what are we left with? Okay, so as we stand right now in the domestic market here, we are still 35% down on where we were uh, at the end of 2019. In capacity. And that's just in terms of total seats in the market, right. uh, which reflects demand for travel. And so SA Express has gone, Mango has gone, Comair. And, and, uh, Comair. and then SAA is a shadow of itself. You know, remember, SAA yeah. used to have a fleet of aircraft. Yeah. So SAA had over 50 planes. And it was flying all over the place. And it wasn't just carrying its own passengers. It was also feeding into other airlines yeah. as well. Um, they're not operating long haul uh, other than Accra and Lagos and no, nowhere near on the sort of frequency they used to. So there are a lot of unutilized routes. Um, it's only got five or six aircraft and it's only operating six or seven uh, flights a day. You know, it's, it's it's a shadow of its former self. What, Lyndon? What I mean, for for the most of the past twenty years, the complaint I hear, I remember hearing from the airlines themselves, was that the domestic offering was overcrowded. Now it makes you wonder yeah. now what what these what do these businesses want? You know, is South Africa a particularly difficult market? I mean, is it more difficult here than it is, say, in Poland? Yeah, it's an interesting question that and. and Absolutely, it was ripe for some sort of shakedown, shakeout, I should say, and uh, and, and or consolidation. Um, there's no doubt it was overtraded. You know, we deregulated the the domestic market here in October '91, and basically said if you meet all the safety thresholds and you've yeah you, know, you tick all the all, all the regulatory boxes from a safety point of view, um, and you've got the wherewithal, 
you can put your hat in the ring and you can start operating. You know, uh, and we've seen a number of players come and go over the years. You know, numerous. Yeah. Um, the policy we have in the in the country, you know, on paper looks great. It says that all airlines are to be given, you know, e- equal treatment. In reality, that never happened because the state obviously distorted the market by supporting and continuing to support and bail out SAA and SA Express, and then launched Mango um, because it was scared of nationwide, and then of one time, and then of Kalula. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, there's been that distortion. It's not that we're a particularly difficult market. It's just that, again, you know, we come back to these issues around how much elasticity is there. Now, you, you get the low-cost guys who've got a particular business model, which is a, basically the same as what you know the, the supermarkets had back in the 1970s when they, they came in and disrupted what had been the corner shops. Yeah. You know, mass volume, low margin, um, and, you know, and, and simplifying everything. Um, uh, that works for an airline like Safair, and it would have worked, and it was working previously for for Kalula. You know, you have one type of one piece of equipment. Uh, you only need one bunch of pilots. You you only need one bunch of you know technicians yeah. and engineers, cabin crew, and everything else, and your infrastructure is all streamlined. Um, it doesn't work when you've got to start tailoring. Uh, when you're operating all sorts of different routes, and you've got to start matching your, um, your, your uh, matching your capacity to the demand and to the the unique factors that you know characterize specific yeah. routes, um, and then your cost base starts building up because of that. You know, you add a new aircraft type or a mm. variant, you're immediately adding all sorts of overheads to that. It's come. I mean, the, the one that particularly gets to me. Um, has been the loss of British Airways yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> I, I I was collecting their their tier points and their um, Avios points um, and and I just you know I keep thinking surely surely somebody would want it back thirty five percent capacity down is is way too I mean even if there was a bit of overcrowding um, surely thirty five percent out of that you know capacity less is a dangerous place to be or not a comfortable place to be for, if you're a passenger. You know? Yeah. Look, would, uh, uh, would there be any, just, would anybody be even remotely interested other than you or I in picking up the British Airways franchise if it were available here again? Well, again, you know, British Airways now, yeah, yeah we kind of we look back, you know, at it with pre-COVID eyes and what, you know, what it yeah. was. Uh, and I recently travelled with them to London and back, um, you know, uh, and I had to use. I'd bought two tickets in twenty early twenty twenty two economy tickets, um, and and was given vouchers for them. I used both of them to buy myself a ticket in economy class and still had to pay in. Wow! So, yeah. yeah, the figures have gone up that much, and frankly, the service is not nowhere near what you know yeah. we we remember from before COVID. Uh, and I think a lot of airlines are struggling with this. Um, you know, there's perceptions about brand and then there's, you know, you, you, people go in with certain expectations and then they get hugely disappointed. Yeah. You know, you walk into the lounge at, at Heathrow 
and uh, you know half of the plug points don't work um, when you want to recharge your phone and things like that. All the stuff that you you kind of you know you you you, you, you made a decision to buy with them because you knew that you were going to you know if you were doing business and you needed to connect and recharge yeah. your phone, all those things you could do. It was reliable. Yeah. All yeah. of a sudden, those things are falling apart and it's not looking good and it's all tatty and you know yeah, yeah. so. Yeah, yeah, I think they've got bigger fish to fry than worrying about the South yeah, African sure. market. Sure. And, and, and that brings me to another point, that when it comes to the foreign carriers flying in here, again, um, while many of them have come back, they've not come back nearly at the level that they were before. I mean, if you think about before COVID, BA, Lufthansa, these guys, you know, BA used to fly two or three times a day out of Joburg, depending on the season, and two or three times a, a day out of Cape Town to London. Now it's like two or three times a week out of Cape Town. Yeah, you know, um, so that 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 uh, capacity is no longer there either. Um, just just wanted to qualify something. Although we are down thirty five percent in terms of seats compared with uh, twenty nineteen, what is interesting is that over the last week we've added six point three percent. To our domestic market, in terms How's of how does that happen? So what's happening there is you've got airlines like Safair, Airlink, and Semair, which are still you know all operating, who've been out buying or, or not buying, but out acquiring additional aircraft and bringing them on stream to try and make up for the uh, the capacity that was lost. Um, yeah, I mean Safair so Safair has now almost become a sort of national carrier. Um, yeah, it's become uh, really ubiquitous. It, 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 it has, and they've taken up some of the aircraft that were leased, um, that yeah. Comair was leasing. They've taken over some of those aircraft. Um, Airlink had already planned to acquire three additional 98-seater um, planes, and the first one, I think, arrives before the end of this month. Uh, the next These two are the are, Embraer that it buys from Brazil, I think, huh? Uh, Embraer 190s that uh, they're made in Brazil, but these uh, that Airlink are getting are coming from a leasing company. Yeah. And in the meantime, they've been temporarily leasing um, a 737 as well, just okay. to give them extra capacity in the you know, yeah. in the immediate term. Uh, yeah. And Semair also busy uh, bringing on stream aircraft that they've managed to procure. So yeah. again, the airlines are. are, okay. are Doing what they can, peddling fast to try and put capacity into the market. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't doesn't help them that um, you know nobody wants to see spillage and and passengers, you know, not being able to not being able to travel. No, for sure. Look, the the big stories though, just for sort of, I'm not a yeah. connoisseur of it at all, but I mean, I'm I'm completely uh, transfixed by the sort of romance of flight and um, you know, run out onto the veranda every time I hear. A, a Piper Cub flying past kind of a thing. But the big stories in, in airlines in South Africa seem to me probably dying a little bit now, but the demise of Comair and the future of SAA. And I wonder if you could just help us a little bit on both of those things. What what happened to Comair? Why did it fail? This is an airline that, that made a profit, I think unbroken profit for over 50 years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it really was sort of held up as a, as a shining example of, you know, a well-run company, but, yeah. uh, you know, uh, 
it's easy to kind of criticize in 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 after the fact and with hindsight you know that they you know questions being asked well do, you know did they did they put money into too many different things did they get too ambitious were they you know previously they they they'd been a very conservative company um with their money you know they'd never ordered new aeroplanes they always were in the you know took pre-owned you know second-hand aircraft and yeah. then they went from, you know in the in the from the mid mid uh, 2010s onwards they started ordering new planes and then of course you know they they'd uh, uh they, they bet on the 737 max which you know they weren't to know at the time and and nobody else did but it, that obviously turned out to be a very contentious airplane and financially a lemon for for, for Comair, in fact, a, a, an absolute albatross. Um, and they, they were busy, you know, they'd, they'd gone to court in Delaware to try and get that contract overturned and to try and um, claw back compensation from Boeing. So there was, there was that. There was their investment in the slow lounge business. There was uh, upheaval, you know, in the boardroom as well. Uh, uh, and you had you know, Bidvest as one of the one of the big shareholders, um, you know, not being satisfied with the way things were going and and wanting art. And I think with COVID, when they just, came along, they, they literally they just got caught in a cash flow crunch. So, frankly, so Lyndon, so just go back to that and and Bidvest role and all of this. Eric Fenter left the company in 2019 uh, after a very successful run. Yeah, was it under Eric Fenter's leadership that they yes. ordered the Boeing seven three seven, seven three seven Max? Yes, it was. Uh, it was it was under Eric? Um, and um, hmm. you know, and at the time, it looked like the smart thing to do. You know, because new aircraft always come with better performance, lower maintenance costs, better fuel consumption. You know, you've got the latest generation technology. Yeah. engines and and other equipment and, and of course there's greater passenger appeal and and there would have been pressure no doubt from british airways which was also yeah. a, a, you know a significant shareholder in comair i think they were at about 18 or 20 percent you know they would also have been worried about you know uh customer brand perception you know uh, they're associating their brand and sticking their 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 livery on aircraft and they want to make sure that you know if a, if a customer buys a ticket, they're going to get the same experience yeah. that they get anywhere else on their network and, and not suddenly climb into a, a knackered old, yeah. you know, donkey with a, with a nice paint job, you know? So there were all those kind of commercial considerations and it, it looked, you know, like, like the smart thing to do. It was an airline that was, you know, finally kind of was maturing coming out from, yeah. from this perpetual austerity approach that it, or austere approach that it had had. Again, there was a uh, you know some thought about well, was that the right approach, or you know, were they able to have raised? Were there other ways in which they could have raised funds, or were they over leveraged, or you know, what was the situation, and where were you know where were they going to get the the money from? Um, so yeah, it's uh, I guess that'll all come out in the wash. I mean, it's it's uh, you know they they had. Um, a beauty contest, if you like, run by the the rescue practitioners to see who would become the the new yeah. um, uh, owners, 
And so you had Renal Stander and her consortium, which yeah. ironically included uh, Harith yeah. uh, and, and the guys that eventually went into Takatso, yeah. which which are now nominally the SAA equity partner or going to be the SAA equity partner if that deal ever comes off. Um, and, and they obviously didn't succeed and and Glenn Osmond and his consortium um, with the money that was looked like it was coming from monster the um, the the, the uh, beverages uh, maker oh, okay I didn't um, know that yeah or, or at least the founder of that of that business yeah. so, and but, but again you know there's only so much uh, money that people are willing to throw at an airline at the moment you know yeah. and especially if it's one that's you know yeah. funny every week and the, the main credit in that case was nedbank wasn't it uh peter i'm actually not sure um, yeah not I, I, th- th- I think i'm right and, and nedbank tends has specialized for many years in in uh, aviation financing they, they've got a the yeah, nedbank have got quite a big portfolio they're very active in the aviation finance um, community, not just here in South Africa, but uh, they've become quite a quite a, um, a serious global player as well. And uh, along with them, Investec and RT. Yeah. Um, talk. Let's talk a little bit about SAA. Then, what is? Assume that the deal is done, right? So it's very slow, uh, as everything is with the government. Um, uh, it, this deal now goes from public enterprises to another minister um, at uh, com- you know with, uh, at the competition commission um, presumably uh, it would be some kind of miracle if the decision to start actually flying before being sold uh, turns out to be a profitable one so there are probably n- new losses being made um, but let's assume that the deal is eventually done what does the future for SAA look like? Do you think, and what's real? What's what's plausible? The International Air Services Council um, have just made a ruling about SA Express, saying you've not operated your, uh, you've not exercised your license and the routes that we we allocated to you, and therefore we're recalling them. And by the way, Mister Liquidator, you cannot sell those as intangible assets, and that is a very interesting development because Section 21 of the International Air Services Act says that, you know, airlines have got uh, got to use their routes. They've got a year within which to use them, after which if they're, not un- if, if they're going unused, the council can, can then uh, send a warning and say, right, well, you know, we're going to recall those licenses. Yeah, uh, and then they think they've got another couple of months grace period in which to do them, um, and you know SAA is sitting on a treasure trove of unutilized licenses and you know to operate routes, and there's at the moment nobody else is queuing up to say, listen, we want to take those on. Certainly, long haul. Mm. Um, if there was, I've no doubt the licensing council would have to. They'd have no option but to give but to recall those licenses from SAA if they don't um, use them. If they don't use them, um, and, they would recall them even though they might not have anyone to, else to give them to. Well, no, they would only recall them probably if there were other applicants saying, "Look, yeah. we want to use those because they're not being used." And under right. Section Twenty One of the Act, yeah. 
Apart from intracontinental, Lyndon, what 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 is left in Europe, North America, Asia, Far East? What do we have for SAA? What are their slots? Well, they've got they've got all of those at the moment that, that are unutilized, but which they hold licenses for, but um, uh, and and which actually there, there, there's a threat now because. Um, they might lose the actual landing and departure slots at some of the airports, even though they've got licenses to operate the route. They yeah. may no longer be able to do so at the times that they wanted to, which would have been the you know the uh, preferential in terms of mm. commercial value. And that's because a lot of the slot um, regulators are now saying, well, we're no longer in COVID. We no longer have this exceptional force majeure. Uh, so it's back to normal business. And if you are not using it, you lose it. So this yeah. this would be Heathrow Airport, for instance. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Heathrow, Frankfurt, uh, JFK, Atlanta, right. all of those guys. Right. Um, so we, you know, SA sits with the with with the route license, but may well lose the actual uh, landing and departure slots or the prime landing and departures uh, departure slots that they they currently hold. Um, and and it's a real issue if you take the North America. South Africa market, for example. And at the moment, this is the biggest source of inbound tourism for South Africa is uh, North America. It's it's okay. uh, traditional markets like the UK, Germany, and France over the, over the last. Yeah, and who's who's flying those routes? And, and so we've got United and we've got Delta. Yeah. And, and how it works is that uh, when it comes to our international air services, so it's anything beyond the borders of the country, whether we're talking about a flight to Namibia or a flight to the USA, those are regulated by a series of bilateral air service agreements at a government-to-government level. So South Africa's Department of Transport sits down with their counterparts in Washington, D.C., and they agree that um, we need to have an air service between the two countries, and we will allocate... Uh, in this particular instance, 21 frequencies, so 21 flights to each country. And then those departments of transport then allocate those frequencies to airlines that are licensed within yeah. their own country. So in the, in America, currently the, the designated airlines are United and Delta. And for the South African side, it's SAA. And how, many flights, how many flights are coming in if they if they now our biggest source of? So at the moment we've got seventeen flights a week oh coming God. in, uh, coming in and going out. Um, but they're Cape Town and Johannesburg. Cape Town and Joburg. So we've got uh, at the moment I think United are at um, three a week out of Cape Town, um, five a week out of Joburg, and I think Delta are similar if they've not gone daily on yeah. Joburg and are talking about. Uh, adding Cape Town as well now, yeah. And then there's a there's a squabble between the two over the remaining four frequencies in the U.S. side of the pot, um, where Delta wants to launch a non-stop service between Atlanta and uh, Cape Town, and United have applied to the U.S. Department of Transport to launch a Washington D.C. Cape Town okay. service. Um, but there's plenty of demand. The plane, the flights. Both carriers, their flights are pretty much fully booked up through Good to great. November. Um, and so there's plenty of demand, but there's nobody on the South African side operating the other 21 frequencies that are just yeah. sitting there. 
um, and with every yeah. day we're losing it's it's opportunity lost for the economy it's opportunity it's lost for the tourism sector it's opportunity lost for trade it's opportunity lost for our fiscus because you know those businesses would be generating you know tax yeah. revenues and vat contributions and everything else well, what is the what's the answer that we just brave entrepreneurs or or you know how, how well how I do think we first of all yeah uh, you know if it's going to be SAA, then they need to be run properly. And if it's going to be anybody else, then there needs to be policy certainty. Mm. And there needs to be an environment that says, okay, if you want to go and put money into that and you want to risk, you know, take on the risk of of, of launching, um, you're going to do so knowing that the government's not going to turn around and begrudge you and then try and take you out, you know, yeah. <laughs> uh, when eventually it does get behind SAA. Yeah. There was talk, um, I, I think, between at a presidential level at one stage, uh, talk of, a, a, of some kind of alliance between South African Airways and and is it Kenya Airways, Kenya yeah, Airlines? Yeah. Um, uh, would that would that hold any promise? Do you think? It's an interesting one because it seems to be driven more by the Kenyans than it does by the South African side. Um, DPE have been very sort of coy around the whole topic, um, whereas the Kenya Airways CEO has been shouting it from the rooftops and saying it's you know, going to be the best thing since sliced bread. It's got a lot of people, to be frank, it's got a lot of people in the industry scratching their heads going, how does this work? You know, you've got two airlines that are effectively broke. Um getting together you know two two one-eyed guys stood yeah. together doesn't give you someone with perfect vision um and but presumably presumably what, what what people have in mind is some sort of competition for ethiopian um um uh, which just seems to own africa at the moment well so so first of all the kenya saa one um at various levels, it's it's a curious one because SAA is part of the Star Alliance Group, and that's a rival to the Sky Team Group. And Kenya Airways is part of Sky Team, along with KLM and Air France. Um, so, you know, what does this mean? Is this SAA saying, "Listen, we want, uh, you know, we we think our days at, at uh, Star Alliance are are over," or or what? You know. Um, Questions about again from a that haven't been been even ad addressed yet are around who operates what um, yeah. and who maintains what and what staff what labor contracts do you have um, both you know for your highly skilled yeah. staff like pilots and engineers but also you know your your semi skilled and do, uh, do we have a sense and do we have a sense of what the skill levels what the remaining skill levels at SAA Technical might be. I mean, they were world-class at one stage. Are they still? It's, um, they have to be, whoever works on an airplane or on a component of an aircraft has to be licensed and, and, and you, you're, you're required to do refresher courses and demonstrate your competency. Um, so in that sense, there is a safeguard to make sure you know that that um, that they are up to scratch and they're they're maintaining those competencies. The issue is how many people are actually left, and 
what sort of institutional memory is still there as well. Um, you know, the, 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 the com, coming back to Comair, Comair was SAA Technical's biggest customer. Yeah. And uh, they've lost that. So, you know, where are they now um, at, at SAA Technical? We don't really hear what's going on there. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, and how are they? How are they keeping the lights on? And for that matter, how's how's the rest of SAA keeping the lights on? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we, um, we just don't know. We don't get those sort of answers from from yeah. or from the airline themselves. Um, Lyndon, my producer's waving waving her arms uh, at me. I need to just ask you this before we before we go. Um, how does this play out over the next year or so? I mean. It, there's surely room for another airline in South Africa. Look, I think um, from a domestic point of view, perhaps there is. Um, certainly, there's 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 a, a need for additional capacity, and the policy we have in the country makes it possible for anybody to come in and uh, and, and compete if they want to. Yeah. SAA's current uh, chair and CEO, uh, Professor Lamola, is talking about. A very aggressive fleet expansion program over the next year. He's talking about adding twenty more aeroplanes back into the fleet. This is while it's up for sale. Yeah, and, and, and we'll have to see where that's going to go. I mean, the, yeah. the Global Aviation, which is a partner in the Takatsu Consortium, it's got some aircraft. Yeah. They're quite old aeroplanes, although they're very well maintained. Yeah, but it's making a lot more money by. Um, wet leasing them, in other words, sending the aircraft with pilots and crew to Europe um, to do charter flying um, uh, over the European summer um, because it makes a lot more money doing that than than putting them here on on a domestic service. Yeah. Um, I mean, just to be clear, I'd probably better just say that that the the, um, the, Chairman of Harith is also the chairman of my own company, yeah. um, Arena Holding, publisher oh, of Business yeah. Days, Sunday Times, Financial Mail. Um, uh, but he, you know, he 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 separates his life out into the various segments in which he in which he plays. But it's it's you know this the the, the it's amazing how long this uh, SAA uh, negotiation um, seems we're, to be we're into the thirteenth month. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, Lyndon, I'm going to stop you there, but thank you so much for, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Lyndon Burns, industry expert. Let's hope the industry finds its feet or its wings and gets us back to something that looks like normal. And it's not, you know, I understand about the oil industry and the price of price of jet of jet fuel. Um, uh, but I thank you for listening. Podcast from the Edge will be back again next week. Stay warm and keep safe. <laughs>